listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 104. Mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with Bill Woodich, CEO of the Woodich Group and author of the books Always Forward and Fail More. Bill talks about his entrepreneur mindset and the do's and don'ts for achieving success. Bill opens up about how he overcame his failures early in his career and how he learned how to get out of his own way. From these learnings, he lives by the mantra, if it is to be, it's up to me. So get ready to experience a very smart, authentic, vulnerable, and passionate leader that speaks from his heart. You're interested in a full body resistance training system to achieve your athletic and fitness goals? The Mass Suit from Juke Performance is your answer. The Mass Suit is a full body resistance training suit that you wear during your exercising or sport-specific training to enhance your speed, strength, power, agility, and endurance. You are fully mobile, and it's great for plyometric and high-intensity training. It engages all muscle groups simultaneously and increases to a 50% caloric burn. Check out the Mass Suit at jukeperformance.com and other fitness-related products, and make sure to use the promo code GRANTPAR, one word, G-R-A-N-T-P-A-R-R, for your 10% discount. Hey, Bill, how are you? Terrible. No way. You're not terrible. Terrible. Why are you terrible? I have a question for you. It's your show, but I have a question for you. Yes. When I say terrible, you expect good. You're expecting me to say good, great. Yeah. And that's what most people do because right. they're, they're on a rope function, Grant, and they're going through life. And when you walk up to someone and they say, how are you doing? And I say terrible. All of a sudden, they're jilted off their axis of what they expect. And instead of hearing me, they start to listen. So actually, I'm doing great. I was just playing with you on that one. But it's a sales technique I've used for years to tell people I'm doing terrible to see if they actually say, great. And some of them do. But some of them say, why would you say that? And when they start talking to me in that way, yeah. I know their barriers of resistance of just hearing and shoving me down in some rote category, they start to open up the gates. So that's why I do that. You know, I love that, actually. There's another way that I've, I've actually, this is recently, I've had somebody come up to me and say, instead of how are you, it's what's good. Anybody ever say not much? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's been a few. Well, you know, as two positive people, and I think we both are, uh, I really appreciated your substance and style on my show. Yeah. And as two positive people, we're, we're off to a really backward start. I love right? it. Hey, always forward. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, again, I, I'm really excited that you're on my show. We're going to talk about your mindset and your journey as an entrepreneur. We're going to talk about uh, your books, Always Forward and Fail More. And I'm just really excited just to kind of get into your mind and just learn what motivates you and how you actually inspire and motivate people. Got to be careful if you enter into that those that pathway, that labyrinth that is my mind. It could be a scary place. I, I'm, I'm excited for it. Let's go. <laughs> All right. So I love talking about mental toughness. Um, when you think about being an entrepreneur, being a leader, what does mentally tough mean to you as an entrepreneur? I think it's two R words. It's resilience. And I think that's a fundamental, it's a requisite for anyone to move ahead in life. Forget business. Let's talk about life. To get ahead in life, it's resilience. And that's part of mental toughness is to understand that things will happen. Unexpected events will occur. 
mishaps, illness, things that, that weren't on your radar screen and you're perfectly sealed, hermetically formed way forward in life. It'll happen. So how resilient are you? How able are you to transform, to change, to move, to learn, and to grow forward? That's one. And the other part, the other R is resourcefulness. When you're knocked on your derriere, when you get up on the field of life, are you then able to be resourceful and find another way if the way you're going forward doesn't really help you go forward? So those are, I think, two of the mindsets you have to have is resilience and resourcefulness. I love those. I love those two R's. Now, can you go back and just a moment in your career. Now, I know there's going to be a ton of examples, but can you share a specific time in your career where you had to be mentally tough? When I lost my first 13 sales attempt, after the 13th time I heard no, I thought, what am I going to do? And, you know, I always think when you look into the darkness, into that abyss, what stares back at you is your character and or lack of. And what I found there is I thought one thing. I, I had to hang on. What, what is the one thing that I know about myself? And I knew this, I knew that if I had to make a bargain with success and that bargain looked like this, if I have to do 1000 calls to get one yes, I'm willing to do that. So I looked in there, found what, how much I really wanted, what I was willing to give up to get it. And I learned right there. I am not going to negotiate with success. I'm going to deal with it on its demands and its terms. That's what I learned. And after that, there was a breakthrough. And I started to win and win and win from the lessons of those losses. You know, thank you for sharing that because, you know, I spent 17 years in, in sales and and I had to deal with the, I had to develop that whole mindset of, of actually being okay with no. Um that takes that takes some time actually to, to de- develop that and be okay with the no. And how, where did that start for you? What motivated you to like to see there's still an opportunity even when someone said no to you? You know, a lot of people will come out in in the guru fashion that that people who are consultants will 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 take in this stance, and they'll say you've got to to find the no. And I do believe I do believe that to a degree. And you've got to seek no because no is the way forward. So you've got to seek as many no's as you can to find your yes. So when you really understand, Grant, that it is a numbers game, no matter what you're doing in life, it's a numbers game. And that if you are going to pay that price for success, you're going to get met with a lot of no's. If you're seeking a lot of yeses, you're going to meet a lot of no's. What do you do with the no's? three things. One, you find out you can never overturn that no. They're not going to buy from you. They don't like Grant. They don't like Buffalo. They don't like your brand. <laughs> they don't like anything you stand for. They don't They don't like you. They don't like me. They're not going to go. That's one no. What's the next no? It's the no that's in the middle. Maybe. Maybe. It's a no now, but it might not be a no tomorrow. Keep that numbers game going. Keep those people on the radar screen. The next ones, they're a no for now, but there are no to the very there are yes tomorrow, and they're telling you it's not this year, Grant. It's not this month, Grant. But it will be next month, or it will be next year. Those are your three categories of no, and that's why you always, always have to keep your activity at a very high level. Always, always, and that, that's beautifully said. You know what's really funny is that, and I've I spent so many years not only in sales but also uh, in sales leadership, and I've watched a lot of salespeople where they have dealt with so much no 
that when they actually hear the yes, they don't even know what to do with it. And they, they just like, kind of like, they keep on going because they they're not used to hearing that yes. Right. And they, what you just said, and you've experienced this as well, I think, with people you've coached, when they hear yes, they keep going and lose the sale. So right. Right. when you hear yes, people, you got to shut up. And it's tough to do because you're right. We're so hardened that we expect people to say no. And I think that is another mindset shift you have to take that you've got to expect your yes and you've got to play for yes. If you play small ball, if you play too small and you're not seeking that yes by learning that you're going to have to bust through no, you're always going to play small in your life. It's a really low ceiling. You want to break that. Absolutely. You know, and I, I've been for the last five years, I've I've changed kind of, kind of redesigned my life and, and activated this uh, competitor that hadn't been there for a long time. So basically, I've been using the language of playing a bigger game. So mm -hmm. when you think of that statement, what does playing a big game mean to you? What does it look like? As soon as you said that, I was I took a, a blast back to my past and I started thinking about what that game was when I was young what that game was before I knew there was any way out of the backwoods of Pennsylvania. And so the past can influence right. your future if you allow it to. It can also be a fuel that influences in a positive way. And I mean, one way to influence is negative by saying, I'm not good enough, I'm small. This is my past, it's gonna be my present. I'm playing a small game, I just wanna survive. I just wanna make 100,000. I just wanna make 120, I just wanna be married. I just want things, and I want this certain lifestyle. But for me, that would be playing small. I wanted something bigger. I wanted to be the dominant person in my industry. I, I wanted to be, and I was willing to do those things that could, that I could, that I, I would be able to flourish. I wanted the the materials. I wanted the material gain. And when I was able to receive the material gain, work for it, then I was able to enjoy those other things. I think that is a book I'm reading right now on the second mountain, and it's called The Two Mountains, that I'm able actually now to, to perform in a way of legacy and to share, which is more important to me now. Wow. Bigger game, much yeah. bigger. That's awesome. That's beautiful. And you know, and as I've obviously done some research and, and getting to know you, I mean, it's, uh, it's been a beautiful trajectory to see how much you've affected, not only for yourself, uh, for your financial wealth, emotional, spiritual wealth, but the people around you and the, and your clients, just, you're a, you're a walking force. Thank you. Yeah. Grant, let me ask you something because we're both football fans. You played football. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this from a quarterback standpoint. Do you always throw, you know, the three-yard, four-yard slants? No. You've got to go deep. Once in a while, you got to risk it. you got to yeah, put that yeah. ball. you got to put that ball in coverage once in a while. you got to <laughs> force some of the throws down the field. You can't play that small. You know what happens? Life and the defense adjusts, right? Yeah. They take those short, safe routes. You got to bust it open, man. Keep light. You got to throw deep. You got to risk yourself. That's what that means. I love it. I love it. Now, your mindset. I know we've talked about it. You're you're sharing a lot of good stuff here. But how would you describe your mindset? And then when you first started on your path of being an entrepreneur, how much has your mindset changed from the moment you started until now? If it's to be, it's up to me is my guiding mantra. I'm not going to use excuses. I'm not going to use a condition. I'm not going to point to somebody else for my failure. I am going to own my success. I am going to own my failures. So I am accountable to a result because if it's to be, it's up to me. My mind, my mindset has shifted from a solopreneur 
an entrepreneur, a solo enterprise that only wanted agrand, you know, to aggrandize and have more lifestyle for himself, very selfish way forward, to one of sharing, to one of collaboration, to one of understanding I don't need to be the biggest ego in the room. As a matter of fact, if I am, I'm probably in the wrong room. I don't need to be right. I don't need to be the most intelligent. I don't need those things that fed my way forward in the past. So I shed my skin, I think became more of a butterfly because I thought I wanna create places where other people can now do those things that I once did without as much bloodshed and without as many years on the calendar going by. Right, now, and I knew this when I started out years ago, uh, you know, I was young, I was motivated, there was a lot of ego, we all, we all have ego, but I was kind of driven by it, I was driven by these external forces, and I wasn't really, I mean, I was a little bit intrinsically motivated back then, I was more external, it was all about the money, the car, you know, the, the role, the title, um, how much, as far, as much as we do have ego, we still have ego, but was there a process or a transition where you've learned over the time that you've kind of moved away from your ego or had a different relationship with your ego? Well, I think e ego is a uh, neutral term. It's what we, when we put it in gear, we either go forward or we go in reverse, but it's a neutral term. So when we say ego, we say, uh, uh, is my ego oriented toward the self? Is it all about, is the representation to the external of what I think I am? So am I playing this facade? Am I wearing this mask of ego to show people by title, by position, by monetary gain, this is who I am? Or am I becoming more real, more me, taking the layers of pretense off and letting myself be at the very core who I am without the expectation that I want to knock someone off the axis of what they think I am because I'm the greatest at this and I'm a number. Uh, so I stopped chasing the validation from the external, put my ego at bay, and then understood that ego can be good or bad and that my ego now is more or less a, a very thin veneer, not a thick, thick protective measure, and I'm more me. So I, I think evolution and uh, the ability to grow comes from losing your ego. Leave it at the door is one of the principles we use in my company. Leave your ego at the door because ego, if you leave that ego at the door, that ego that's only fueled toward the self, you can do more in terms of collaboration with other people because ego can be your biggest ally. It can also be your biggest adversary. For sure. And I think if, if you can have a better relationship with your ego, like you said, leave it at the door, um, or check it, you're allowing yourself to actually tap into your own energy too. Yeah, and you know, you are, and, and you asked me this, and, and, and I know I can, I can go down the road with, with this ego piece, <laughs> but I, I can tell you where you learn where ego, life will reconcile your ego. At some point, you're gonna meet that obstacle, you're gonna hit that barrier, something will happen to you or something happens for you that will change your relationship with your ego. When you understand we're all in this together, we're here for a short time, Let's make the best of it. None of us survives this thing alive. And let's work together and see what we can do if we, if we work as a team. Yeah. We before me. I love it. I love it. Now, I love this question about, I know you shared some few things about your past and your journey. But when you think of, uh, when you reflect on your career, what do you think is your biggest mental win? And what is your biggest mental fail? And how did you overcome it? The biggest mental win is when I had the confidence to sit in a conference room with America, with the president of American Express, with the president of Goodyear Tires, uh, you know, of 
uh, of Paul Molove, of Colgate, to be able to sit there and know that I was good enough. It took me a long time to get there. I always played as an insecure game, trying to overcompensate. But when I learned that I was as worthy of sucking air off this planet as the next person, I had that confidence. I didn't have the desperation, Grant, the fear, the need to validate myself. I could work on equal terms. And for the most part, I can tell you, I was embraced by those people as a person. Didn't always buy from me, but they respected me because I respected myself. That was a huge mental shift for me when I learned that I had the confidence to do those things. And I think to have that confidence, some people have to first have the substance. They have to have the knowledge. They have to practice through it. And some people just have that confidence, and then they have to learn and grow the substance. But that was my first mental shift right there. What about your biggest mental fail? Before I had that, when I would try to overachieve. Got it. When I, you know, it was always overreach, and I played from a very insecure position. Got it. You know, two things. I ask that question a lot, and I would say, like, for whatever reason, there's not a right or wrong reason, but I would say that, or right or wrong answer, 95% of the people, every time I ask them that question, they want to tell me what their biggest mental fail was. Yeah. They never want to start with a mental win. So it was really, really interesting to hear, to hear that. But what I love about your mental win is, and I've experienced this as an entrepreneur, and I've seen a lot of people do this. It's really when you're when you're so present, when you're actually confident, like that's where you like, you're present. That's where you are finding that confidence. There's a lot of times where I was running uh, big time sales meetings, and I was with Microsoft with LinkedIn, and I am like worrying if I'm saying the right thing. Am I going to provide the value that they want? I'm thinking about all these things and just being, just being there. And once I got there, got where my feet were and I got there, that was where like magic happened. That's where I, I, f I truly felt connected to myself, but also to my customers. You know, I, I like, I remember now the, the feeling of talking with you on my show and I felt really good about the bounce, but I'm going to tell you where magic's happening is what you just inspired inside of me. Yeah, I think entrepreneurs have to have this, and I think this is essential and something you either have or you don't, to tell you the truth, mm -hmm. is the optimist gene. Because when you ask me about fail or win, and I just come up with win, I, I'm by nature, I'm very optimistic. I have the optimist gene. Now, it's been it's more of a realist now over time, but I have the optimist gene that it's always going to start with a win. That I'm in position every day, every minute to change something in my life if I take ownership and know, as I said, if it's to be, it's up to me. So that's where my starting point is. It's a point of abundance. It's a scarcity standpoint where I'm playing small, where a woe is me. I don't think I'm good enough. I busted down that barrier decades ago. I think that optimism is, is contagious. That enthusiasm for the game is contagious, and people feel that. They call that confidence. Wow. I love it. You know, there, and it's also, we, we deal with, we deal with, uh, with negative belief systems that have been around for a long time. And I'll tell you what, this took me about five years ago and this, this riddled me for, and I'll be vulnerable with my, with my listeners, but I had to deal with this negative belief system of not being smart enough. I, I mean, that was like my whole life. And once I let go of that and I did a ton of work to get over it, man, like, Things the universe has been responding because I've let go of that and I've and I've done the work. But you know, when you think about it, I've had some people talk to me about this. They're like, dude, look back at your life. Look, look back at your athletic career. You played the hardest position in all of sports. Were you that stupid? 
I said, ah, good point, good point. I played one of the hardest positions. I've done really, really cool things in my career, and I'm doing incredible stuff now. I'm not stupid, and it took me a long time to let go of that. And, you know, that's one of those, when we talked early about the past being able to form some of your future, when you actually look back there, remembered that, that was brought to your attention. Mm-hmm. You embrace that as a win, as a way of winning, as, a le- as something you've done to be resilient, to be resourceful, and it's moved you forward. I think it's one of the many things that's moved you forward in life. I, I agree. I agree 100%. Now, I love, I love this about when we, when we look at being an athlete, because I know that you were an athlete back in the day. You still are an athlete, right? Yes. And you, uh, I know you played football. You played at University of Purdue. Um, when you look back at your whole athletic career, how much do you think your athletic experience has prepared you for life and pre- prepared you to be an entrepreneur? Well, I use this metaphor a lot. It's probably overused, and the two people in this room with me will probably roll their eyes. But, you know, I, I can't do your push-ups for you. I can't do your pull-ups for you. You have to do that on your own. In those dark places where you don't want to go, in those times of day where you, most people are sleeping, it's up to you to become that success. So I think the mental toughness part of discipline, of habit, is huge in sports and life adopting it's not so much willpower as it is habit willpower gets you to the point where you start to develop the habits take on the discipline and carry through because your vision is inextricably tied to the work you're doing to realize that vision as life and, and that's where i think athletics came into for me to be one of the big difference makers in the boardroom absolutely you know, when I think about discipline, uh, you know, some of the things that I took from my experience as an athlete, um, even as a, as a coach as well, it's uh, discipline, it's habit, it's uh, leadership, communication, like these things, like, and, and the competitive spirit, that, that helped me a lot throughout my career. But those are the things, and I love asking that because if you were going to hire somebody that had a strong athletic background versus someone that's never played any athletics would that, would that waver in your decision on hiring somebody? Uh, that prejudice is in, but that's, that's a confirmation bias that I still hold. Yes, it would. I like people who are in competitive sports in a team-oriented approach. Solo, and I have some people who were, who were swimmers, who did things you know, outside of the team context. That's a little tougher for me. But you said something, too, about mindset, which was taking me back to a really negative part of my life, which was in front of my whole family in the, one of the biggest games we had I threw probably the record still stands a 90 yard interception, you know, and I was, uh, I, I threw that baby and I remember chasing the guy thinking, Oh my God, this is like really, really bad. And my brother said to my dad at the time, he's ne- Billy will never catch him. He was right. And, <laughs> and, and I learned, I learned I, as much as you want to disappear and shrink off the stage, you know what it's called? Cause you, because you went through it as well. Next play. Yep. Next play. So that mental shift too as well. And then that's learning from failure. And it's an immediate feedback loop. Next play. If you keep holding on to that last pass, you are going to throw that puppy again. So it's always next play. And I like team-oriented individuals who are used to sharing the credit, who need, who know that to pull together is, to, is the way forward. So there is a bias in my head. I've hired wrestlers which is a, a, a team sport, but it's still individual. Swimmers, team sport to a degree, but still individual. Um, I, I don't know. I just have a bias toward teams. Got it. No, I feel it for sure. Edit that part out so my salespeople don't hear it. No, I'm just 
Well, I, and I'm gonna I'm gonna share a story. It's kind of funny that you brought up your story, uh, and what it's gonna lead into being vulnerable. Um, one of my biggest fails as an athlete it was I was actually my last year of, in college, and um, it was my worst game. I mean, when you look back at the moment I played Pop Warner all the way throughout college, my worst game. I was four for twelve. I threw four interceptions, and two of them were pick six. So you really weren't four for twelve. You were eight for twelve. Yeah, right, right. right. <laughs> that's what you gotta look at it, right? Right. Man, that's pretty bad. That, yeah. That's like worse than me. <laughs> oh, it, it was it was horrible. But you know, and again, the reality of it, I I was sick at one hundred and two temperature. I only practiced one day a week. That that was I was going into that. My mental game was so off. It was like I went in there knowing that I was going to do bad. When you don't have to feel good to perform well. And, but it's funny when I bring that up, people are like, don't bring that up, man. You got to let that, you know, keep that away. I'm all like, no, it's dude. I right. got the, I got the lesson from it. Like you said, so what next play? And I think that's when we, we're going to talk about failing here in a second, but if we can plug into the feedback, the information, that's what I did. I realized I got the feedback pretty quick. It took me a few days to kind of emotionally get over it. But then I came back the following week and had a really good game. So you were resourceful and resilient. There you go. You rebounded. Next play. Yep. For sure. So we're talking me being vulnerable right now, sharing my probably my worst game in my career. Um, when we talk about vulnerability, I know we hear that a lot. And I, I hear it a lot in sports, you know, to be vulnerable, be vulnerable with your play, be vulnerable with your leadership. But how important is it to be vulnerable as a leader in the corporate space or in the workplace? Well, let me share the story, the facade, the, the myth of invulnerability. I lost a lot of money when I started this company for the first five years because as a leader, my image, my mindset was that I had to have the right answer. I had to be right. I had to have that right answer right now in that second. And that would make me invaluable. And that would make me intelligent. And, and that would make me a better leader because I had those answers right now. And when you do that, when you need to be that invincible force, that myth that you're invulnerable, you will lose money. So being vulnerable to me looks like this. Can I think about it? I'm not sure. Some of the most powerful words you can use in leadership is I don't know. But I will get back to let me think this through. Let me think about it. Right. When you learn that, and that's how I define vulnerability, because vulnerability, I want to be really, really careful with your listeners on this. Vulnerability is a definition. It's a defined term you have to live out. It does not mean you're in tears. It does not mean that you're weak. It means you're strong enough to know your weaknesses. You're strong enough to address those weaknesses and not try to put yourself in a position where you're Grant Parr playing quarterback if you're better as Joe Smith playing wide receiver. Mm -hmm. So that's all part of vulnerability of understanding who you are and putting yourself in position to win by not overreaching and being real. And I think that's, that's key and crucial in that term. I love it. Uh, and you know what? We talk about that a lot on the show and that is an angle that I haven't, we haven't really explored and I love it. I, I love that perspective of it. Um, what do you think typically, you know, and again, this is just, it's kind of a broad question, but when you think of CEOs, leaders, entrepreneurs, what do you think typically or generally is a blind spot for them that you've seen? Um, we've done it a certain way. We've become successful and damn it, like Jerry Jones of the Cowboys, we're going to keep doing it our way. We're not <laughs> our blind spot. 
our blind spot is our self. We're, we're listening too much. We're drinking too much of our Kool-Aid. We're reading too much of our press. And we're not willing to be, quote, vulnerable and ask other people for their opinion. And then if we do ask them to maybe think of the merit, and then if it has merit, maybe apply it. So I think that's a huge blind spot is our own ego. Go back to the E term yeah. because we've done it so long. And damn it, I was the top salesperson in a Fortune 500 company. And damn it, I know this is the way to do it. And you know, life is changing. And, and that old way sometimes becomes our blind spot because we are not open to doing it a different way. Uh, and that, I think, Grant, is one of the biggest blind spots we have. Yeah, openness. Wow, I love it. I love it. Let's, let's shift uh, focus on your books, right? which I know that um, you just released one not too long ago, which is called Fail More. But I want you to talk just a little bit about your first book, Always Forward, and then your second book, Fail More, and just share a little bit about each book, about what they're all about, and what motivated you to, to write these books. Always Forward is um, should have been termed always a neutral because it took about three years to write it. <laughs> always a neutral but, but the, the difference between two books succinctly is the first book is really my, my way of pounding forward about me to say these are seven things that I've done in my life that I know if you do these and you and you're you do these consistently you'll have some degree of success I can't tell you you're going to be a millionaire but you can have some degree of success and always forward is a, a book about resilience it's a book about technique. It's a book about how do you move that needle forward in sales? What does activity really mean? What is the, the magic of thinking something, then doing it right away without hesitation? How do you manage your time? Uh, you know, you can't do good business, Grant, sitting on your backside. There are stories. There are ways. There are, it's powerful. It's undistilled. It's boom. Fillmore is more about you. It's about here's what I've learned. I want to share this with you. It's about the reader in real life technique and application of what fear is, what it looks like, how to go through some of it. You're never going to get over all of it. And what does failure look like and how can you make a success out of failure? Because it is it is the indispensable teacher for those people who are willing to learn from it. And just from your perspective, I know you and I have talked about this on your show um, in the past, but why do you think people get so plugged in into the the emotional side of failing which i believe it, it emotionally paralyzes us when we get when we still get so caught up into it into the failing piece why do you think people get caught up in that instead of in the moment seeing that there is an opportunity with failure why is it so yeah it's a good question but it goes right to our survival instincts and it goes right back to our dna it goes right back to our beginnings because we're we are our um in the jail of an instinct at first, where we, we are in the thrall of instinct. And instinct is emotion. And instinct makes us, allows us to survive. It allowed us to survive. So that rejection hurts. <clears throat> it's an emotion. It's not a logic. It's, it's an emotion. So fear is a protective ally for us. It can be an ally that protects us or, and I think we have to make the distinction between fear and danger. Mm. It can be that precursor for danger and danger is harm from reptile, insect, or man. But fear, the way we talk about it in the book, is that invisible, that thing in the past where you threw those four interceptions, that bully that chased you, that imagined reality that you now make real, real from the florid imagination. That's the thing that is invisible. That's the thing we need to understand. Is this fear real? Is there 
real fear here, real danger, or is it a figment of our imagination? If it is, how do we deal with it? How do we go through this rejection? Where do, how do we understand if it's instinct or it's logic? That's mm. a huge difference and it's, it's lined out in the book. Totally. You know, it brings me back in my first year of being a mental performance coach. And I was having this conversation with my mentor and I was going, you know, going through some real stuff for me at the time. And it was, I think I'm, you know, what if I fail at this? And when I said that to him, he goes, hold on for a second. Are you in danger? And mm. I'm like, no. He's like, is your life, is, is, is there any threat to your life? And I said, no. Is there a tiger in the room? I said, no. Is there someone who has a gun to your head? I'm like, no. And he goes, what are you fearful of, man? There it is. Yeah. There it is. And we're, we still, in instinct, we still act as if there's a saber-toothed tiger in our <laughs> And, you know, it, it, in this book, I'm talking about it, it to become a Wall Street Journal bestseller, not, not because so much of the writing. I think it was because the, the, my, my, the, the helper on this book was Kelsey McDaniel. And she, she had the magic, magic words and prose when I stumbled for mine. So I think I give her credit for that. Mm-hmm. But, but I, you know, I, I talked about, about one sales rep who was so stung by the quest for perfection in his former job that the first thing he said to me, how, what are we going to, how many times are we going to fail? What can we, I said, we're going to fail a lot, but it's not going to matter because we're going to learn from those failures and we're going to move forward. There's no tiger in the boardroom. We just act as if there is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what's next? I mean, you, you've done so much in your career. You've got so much energy for so many things. Um, what's next? Well, you know, I, I wrote that. It's funny because, man, you just, you're hitting me on this thing. Uh, uh, right up front before our talk, I wrote what's next because that is the type of person, that's the vision that I always have, what's next. So I'm always raising that bar of achievement. And it doesn't always mean, and especially now, it doesn't mean so much the material at all. It means, am I affecting lives? Am I influencing minds? Am I, am I touching hearts? And I will tell you, because I think we're both big believers in the power of that universe, uh, you know, of the universe. And if we live a certain way, Things will come to us, happen for us, put us in position to take advantage of things in a good way. And if we use it the other way, I think it, it turns on us. And, and we're, you know, life will reconcile those people who have too much arrogance, who believe they're greater than the game, who believe they're the sole purpose for the game. So I am getting a plethora of feedback on social media platforms that's coming to me and saying, substance, real, read your book, changed my life, did this. You know, Grant, I don't change anybody's life. I'll put some words out there. If those words create that little fire from that ember that's still inside, that's inside of you and it burns, and you can do something to make what I say better and change your life, man, I'm winning. You know, so that's what's next for me is to try to get on more stages, to write the next book, and I'm writing the book not for my ego. That was, you know, that was maybe the first book, but I'm writing this to share stories about ways you can move forward in life as much as business. And I want to say something about Sherry. The first book, all the proceeds went to the Intrepid Fallen Heroes Fund, which serves the U.S. military and their families. And so all of my proceeds from the book went to and continue to go to the Intrepid Fallen Heroes Fund, uh, a charity that is tremendously worthwhile. Wow. Man, again, you're affecting people's lives. Uh, it's we before me. I, I mean, I love that stuff. And, and I want to just share this with you because... Um, and get your thought because you've done so much with your career. You're obviously you're very intentional. Um, when I started to shift in 
a different way of thinking, playing a bigger game. I started to, I started to really trust the universe by being really authentic with myself, understand where I wanted to go. But the more that I was throwing stuff out there to the universe, it was like what came back to me and still does on a weekly basis. I'm like, holy shit. Like, and it's just, a, and so I'm learning to say no a lot on, because, you know, I have to make sure that these things that are coming at me that are in line with my, my values and my path. Right. But how, how has it been for you? Like, what's your feeling and what you, what have you experienced from just throwing stuff out there and, and having the universe come back at you? Well, I, I really think you nailed it. You, you really are succinct in this and you're taking my new year's resolution. If there is such a thing in, in the new year <laughs> is to say no more often. And to be more judicious in what you do choose to get involved in and, and not spending that precious time, you know, that resource that you can't get back and effort going down these labyrinths or these rat holes that used to feed your ego because all you do is spend money and waste time. So I'm learning to say no and I'm learning to be more in alignment with, as you said, with what I really want for my life and what I really want to do with the rest of my life, you know, in this fourth quarter. In, in sharing with people and in, in leaving that legacy that they can grow from. So I, I'm much more in align with the true me, the core me. I don't need to be, you know, on the top of bestsellers lists anymore. I don't need to be top of sales categories anymore. Those days are way, way gone. Bestseller list, maybe, you know, I don't know. This day. Depends on Kelsey. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, one more question here. And I love this question. Um, fairly deep question. But when you reflect in your whole career, let's say your whole life, what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? Wow, that's a good one. Uh, that I am not invincible. That I am a human. That I learned that there is no one that is, that is better than me, and I am not better than anyone else. And as a takeaway for that, I did learn, I did learn that. And I, I learned to be more happy with the conditions that I'm creating that 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 will inspire and, and conspire to create that happiness. And I've learned more what happiness is, uh, what joy is, and I've learned to seek more of that instead of the external need for validation, the applause of the crowd. Uh, that was the big difference maker for me when I learned I don't need to be liked, but I damn sure need to be appreciated. And, and that was the big difference maker for me. Wow. Man, a lot of things came up for me right there. I mean, the fact of being, you know, humility. Um, I think about in the last five or six years, I have truly, truly understood and how to actually tap into my joy. Mm -hmm. like, to me, man, like, I, that's my power, is my is joy. Um, and knowing knowing when to tap into it. Um, yeah, man, it's been, it's been actually a beautiful ride since I've kind of, it's like one of my powers. It's like, if I can tap into it, man, I'm man. My energy's rocking. You're like Thanos, man. You got like five rings. What are you talking about? You get more rings. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So, how do my listeners connect with you? How do they follow you on social media and buy your books? At Bill Woodich, W O O D I T C H. At Bill Woodich and BillWoodich.com, where you can tap in. You can uh, connect with me. We can share thoughts and ideas because the the idea is to make everything better. And Failmore is in bookstores. It's on Amazon. It is also on Audible. I read it, enjoyed reading the book, um, put a lot of passion into the book. Uh, one of my assistants is still reading the book. She's been here for a year. 
<laughs> really not a heavy read. <laughs> That's why you can climb me. And usually, let me tell you something, Grant, the key, and I think we both share this. I laugh a lot at myself. Whether I'm funny or not to other people, I don't But I do find humor in just about everything, and that keeps me bouncing on to the next thing. <laughs> Well, I love it because you know what? That energy, man, it's, uh, I plug into that energy. I mean, who wouldn't want to plug into that energy? And it's contagious, man. It's, uh, it's awesome, man. And Bill, thank you for so much for just talking about your mindset, your journey, uh, more importantly, your energy and your thoughts, man. This has been a really, really cool episode, and I know my listeners are going to enjoy it. Well, I, I enjoy playing with you. You made me better. You, you made me think of things I haven't thought of for a long time, and I think that you know, uh, you, you bring out some new thoughts based on uh, the relationship we have and the communication we have. So thank you. Beautiful. Thank you.